You're listening to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio, inspiring ideas, inspiring families. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. I'm your host, Brooke Walker. Today's a little bit of a parent brain bender, and I think that's a good thing. I I hope it is anyway. I found myself reflecting on the conversation you'll hear today with kind of fresh parenting perspective, thinking about my parenting role, not just as that of a parent, but as that of a CEO. And in doing so, thinking of my family, not just as a family dynamic, but as a business. I'll explain more in just a minute, but I think it's safe to say we all want more diligent, more purposeful family collaboration and connection, right? The big question underneath that goal is how do we start? How do we start? Where do we start? Our guest today says, and here it comes, that that business metaphor or that business approach might help you. It might help your family. David Kozlowski is an in-demand marriage and family therapist. He specializes in the good mental health of high-risk teenagers and also their supporting family dynamic. He's an instructor to high school students and also a founder of the Light the Fight podcast. I'll tell you something about David. He he often refers to his style as street counseling, and he does so in kind of a self-depreciating way, but I appreciate it in the sense that he really does meet families where they are. He's light in his approach. His tone is very stripped down and real. And I think that's why, in large part, teenagers connect with the messages that he shares and how he shares them. Parents can learn a lot, I think, from that style. And with this topic today of how to strengthen the family collaboration and ultimately the family connection, I think you'll find it wise to see how he parallels, how he compares family life with business practices, and how blending the two can ultimately make your family better. Here's marriage and family therapist, David Kozlowski. David, welcome to Family Rules, the podcast. I'm so grateful you're jumping in with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Brooke. It's an honor and pleasure to be on your podcast. I'll pay you later for that. I'll pay you later for that. Here's what I love. We've been chatting a little bit today already before the recording, and David has a lot of unique gifts and talents. It's why you've been so successful in reaching the youth the way you have, but you bring this energy, and, and I've interviewed David several times in person. This particular conversation is happening over the airwaves virtually, but you bring and I'm not surprised, you bring that same positive, infectious energy even just to an audio conversation. Is that natural for you, kind of that energy flow? Are you always kind of an up-and-up guy? Well, that energy is horrible for teachers that are trying to teach me when I was a little kid. (laughs) So when I was a little kid, it was definitely a distraction. Uh, Now that I've gotten older, yeah, I mean, think about it. I'm I'm around young people all day, every day, and you're either going to be zapped by their energy or you're going to be like, game on, let's go. I can match your energy. So I go with the latter. I, I just try to match their energy energy and it works out usually. Well, now you are the teacher, Mr. Cause, right? Yep. Mr. Cause. Is what the students call you. When did you first realize this was your calling, your gift, your thing to reach the youth and teach the youth in the way that you do? Um, uh, You know, to become a family therapist, family psychologist, anything that's studying how to help families, I think the first requirement is you have to have a little bit of a crazy family. (laughs) <laughs> and so I, I, I checked that box and I, when I was, when I was, uh, in, when I was younger, I, I played football at the university of Utah and I thought like my two older brothers before me, they'd played in the NFL. So I thought, okay, I want to be a football player, but then I find out you have to work really hard and do all that extra stuff. And <laughs> 
And I don't know if I really want to be a football player and had a bunch of injuries and stuff. So it came down to it because of one of my injuries. I had really bad concussions and I was in a coma. And to make a really long story short, because of that, I just started going to counseling. I struggled with depression really bad. Um, and I had a breakup. And after the breakup, it led to, and I don't say this lightly, so I, let me slow down for a second. Yeah. I had a very serious suicide attempt when I was playing football at the University of Utah. Hmm. And at the time, no one had known it was a suicide. Just people knew that I almost died and I got rushed to the hospital. And so um, they said, hey, you know, Mr. Kozlowski, we think it's a good idea if you go see a counselor. And so after counseling for quite some time, I realized that my brain injuries were the least of my problems. Uh, I had a lot of mommy issues. I had a lot of, I was adopted by my grandmother and a lot of just what you'd call unfinished business. Like mm -hmm. I just really didn't know who I was. I knew I was good at football, mm -hmm. but I also knew that I didn't really love football. So one thing led to another. I went to a bunch of counseling and I remember one day talking to the counselor at the University of Utah and I said, so let me get this straight. So you ask people questions, get them to think about things that are really deep that they wouldn't normally think about. Then they figure those problems out and that's your whole job. He's like, yep. I'm like, where do I sign up? Like, that's the coolest job ever. So that's how it all started. And then I started getting into, I moved back to San Diego when I was done at the U and I just started working at psychiatric hospitals, group homes, anywhere that I could get my, my hands, like really in working with troubled youth. Cause I knew off the bat the one group of people, if I'm going to help anyone, it had to be the youth. When I played football at the U, I was always, I wanted to speak to youth any chance I got. So something about being around young people, I guess I'm like Peter Pan. Like I just never wanted to grow up. And so <laughs> that's why I still dress like a teenager. So I love that you referenced your sports background because I know that plays into some of your analogies and your metaphors as you're teaching and coaching and sharing families. There's also a business metaphor at play that you say is a great family metaphor too to, a, to adopt for families to consider implementing in their own home. How does business connect to family? Well, the number one connection that I found with using business metaphors for families, uh, the, the biggest reason why I mean it, that it worked and I kept on using it is because every parent that I've ever talked to has worked for a business. So if we're looking about how could we use metaphors and analogies that are easy for everyone to understand, because sometimes we'll use an analogy and some people are like, yeah, I don't get it. Even like with sports, everyone's had a job, everyone's had a good boss and everybody's had a bad boss. I, I think that's pretty safe to say. Check if you're check. old enough, to, if you're old enough to have kids, you've had good bosses, bad bosses. There's some companies that didn't pay you well, but you love the people there. So you stayed there longer. Right. Yeah. And there's some companies that paid you a ton, but you just hated it so bad you had to leave. Right. So the business analogy that I found out that works the best for families is to help them see that your family really needs to be ran like that business that you actually liked working for. The company that made you feel, even though you knew you weren't owner of the company, they made you feel like your value to the company had ownership qualities. They cared about your opinions. They cared about your insight. They wanted to know what, what was going on through your eyes. Companies that go out of their way to incentivize their employees don't just give them bonuses and give them new titles. They give them influence. Mm. So the definition of the word power with human beings is really the ability to influence another human being. There's lots of ways to influence people. Some businesses, just like some families, will use intimidation to influence the employees. And by the way, using the business metaphor, the parents are the CEO and CFO. Yes, yes. <laughs> the kids are the employees. And in a real life business metaphor, it's like, yeah, the people who own the company, they're the ones running it and you're an employee. But some businesses know that it's not about money. 
it's not about the the title on your card. It's about, do you have the ability to influence them? And that's what power really is, the ability to influence someone else. But instead of using intimidation, threats, or bribery, because those are always influence someone, sure. they, the best businesses figured out that if you really want to influence someone, there's a trick. You got to first let that person have influence over you. Mm. You have to build a culture and a community where their voices aren't just being talked and said, they're being processed. It's changing policy. It's making you go, wow, I thought my way was better, but you know what? That's a really good idea. Let's try your way. Let's run that. As soon as kids start to feel like employees that said, wait, wait, did the boss just take my idea and they're going to start a new policy over there? Are you serious? Now that employee has to come to work on time the next day. They're invested. They're invested. Same thing with our kids. We want to incentivize our kids so they can understand a simple truth. From zero to 18, there are children, but from 18 for the rest of their life or eternity, whatever you believe, they are our partners. So let's have a bit, let's have a family business model that shows them that they are managers in training and we're just going to help them build them up because if we work with them and they partner with us, when we're done and we need to retire, they're going to want to actually take over the family business. There it is. That just makes sense as you say it. I'm grinning. It's a really, a really brilliant metaphor and translates nicely to the home front. Let's break it down. There are a few layers here. Any good company we know has a mission statement. You say families should have a similar mission statement that guides and directs who they are and how they behave. And a statement has to be like a statement that's not sarcastic. Like, you know, you hear those things of like whiners, (laughs) no whining in this family. That's not a family mission statement. That's just like a complaint. (laughs) Okay. So a family mission statement could simply be like, we're going to operate our family like a company that you want to work for. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And everything that the family does, it's like, man, like, are we really following our mission statement? Does it come back to that phrase? Yeah. 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 Because one of the biggest complaints that I get from teenagers, and it's it's a fair complaint, is that their parents don't like their attitude. And then they tell me that their parents are highly sarcastic. (laughs) I'm like, that's a problem. Well, imagine if the CEO of the company was sarcastic and talking trash all the time to lower level. That wouldn't be a good look. Right. Businesses often plan ahead to the next quarter. Quarter one. Yes. Q2. Q3. You say families can take on that similar planning method or approach. Like we're forecasting ahead. Yes. Um, one way that families can do that, a couple different ways, is that when, once you have a family mission statement and you're saying, hey, this is what we're going to be as a family, everything we do is going to try to work towards that. The next be- the next thing after that is to have weekly meetings. Okay. Okay. And I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. Those are the, the highs and low meetings. And then also to have a, a 30, 60, and 90 day plan. So for example, if you're in Jan- we're in January right now, if you want to look out to three months from now, you could say, all right, we'll go to every single person in your family. Hey, in three months from now, like, what, what do you want to be doing? Like, what, like, what improvements do you want to have made in the next three months? Okay. So once they start talking about their improvements, things they want to make, two things happen. You don't get caught up in the last quarter about all the failures. Hmm. Unknowingly, a lot of people will try to uh, re- uh, bring to life the old issues from the last quarter when they're obvious and say, okay, well, you know, last last three months you failed in all these areas. So what are you going to do to make up for it now? That, that, that's, not, that's not partnership language. Partnership language is like, hey, we know what happened the last three months. Your grades weren't where you want to be. We know you can do better than that. Where do you think you should be in three months from now? 
And then after they say that, okay, what are the things that you can work on in the next month and in the next 60 days to help you get there? It doesn't have to be a contract per se. It's a conversation. When you have conversations with people and you guys all identify that you have the same goals and you are better off to use each other to meet those goals Mm -hmm. and to work with each other, then it goes from I'm a screw up and I have to make up for it versus this approach is you made a mistake. Now this is your opportunity to make up for it. Moving forward. Moving forward. Take us to those weekly meetings. You referenced highs and lows. Yeah. So these weekly weekly meetings, I won't get into all the, the different ways how this can be helpful, but just imagine if you are talking on a consistent basis with your kids of all different ages, but you had a structure of how to talk about it that wasn't too cheesy it wasn't too formal, but then again, it wasn't too chaotic like a, like just a zoo, like a circus, like mm-hmm. just running in a muck, right? In these conversations, I call them family business meetings, but I call them highs. It's called highs, lows, and who knows. So you practice this at a dinner table, and you don't have to do it every night. My kids love doing it. Everyone else that's tried doing it, they, they, they were surprised on how in a weird reverse psychology, it actually gets p- kids to talk. When they didn't think they wanted to talk. Okay. So the parent, the oldest parent goes first, or just one of the parents goes first, and they say, Hey, um, here's here's this thing I heard about. I want to try it. Um, I know a lot of times I come home and you guys don't know if I'm mad or if I'm happy or whatever. And then, you know, maybe me and mom get in a fight or we have arguments. So I thought about it. Maybe I should just kind of tell you what's been going on throughout my day. So you kind of know where I'm at. And I'm not blindsiding you guys, wondering why I'm acting like it's the end of the world because the trash didn't get taken out. If if a leader of a business goes first and states that says, I'm a person, I have good days and bad days too, just because my face looks upset, I, maybe I just had a bad meal. I don't know. Maybe I got an upset <laughs> stomach. So then the dad in this case, let's say the dad goes first. And so the dad would say, hey, you know what? I had a really rough day at work today. I got chewed out by my boss. I feel horrible. I feel like I'm I'm a loser that I failed and I, I'm embarrassed. And and if a dad was just to go on and if that was a real day and that had happened, the kids would be looking at the dad eating their food, going, I'm listening, keep going. Well, they're looking they're at very a, they're suddenly looking at a human, not just a dad. Exactly. Yeah. Now they're going, now you got my attention. This is how you can hack the brain of any kid or a teenager. Spark their curiosity. Hmm. If you say the same thing, how was your day, Johnny? How was your day, Susie? Really good. Let's just let's just antag let's just uh, pick at your day and put it underneath the microscope. They just start going wah 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 wah, and they just start blocking it all out. But if you put some of your own skin on the table, then mom goes. Then they start to go. Oh, now we're talking about our lows. But then dad could say, but you know what, my high is for today. I actually got to come home be with you guys and I don't have to worry about my work on work anymore. I'm going to put down my phone. I'm going to just spend time with you guys. So now if throughout the night dad gets irritated because the kids aren't hanging out with him, they're not going to go, why is dad in such a bad mood? No, dad said his high of the day was he finally got a chance to be around them. Oh, okay. Let us put down our phones. Let's give dad a little bit of attention. So So often in, in friend groups and families, we don't know what the other person needs at that moment. So we overstep and just, we can hurt people's feelings even though we thought we were just being our normal self. Uh-huh, 
Uh-huh. I love how you say put some skin in the game, though. I have two much younger sisters, and I often take on the role of mom to them more than I am big sister yeah. just because of the age difference. But I've, I, it's funny that you're touching on this so poignantly because I recently felt this, like putting their life under a microscope, trying to draw out and dig out all these details when really I'm not sharing a lot about my day as a human, right, as a sister, as a woman. And, and it's brought a different engagement when I do. And that kind of speaks to a, a, a belief of yours that in these family meetings to really make them successful, we can't be the interrogator. And you're talking to a former news reporter, current television and radio host. <laughs> so listen, I could use this advice more than anyone else, but the interrogation you say is a quick stop to any sort of conversation or connection. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, language of partners is not asking the person a bunch of questions. If you're a CFO and you're talking with a CEO, those meetings don't start out where they don't start like this. Where were you today at 8.30? <laughs> That's not how partnership meetings start out with. Right, how come right. I got a call from the school? How come this? Did, 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 did. Partners start like this. Hey, I'm glad we got a chance to talk. There's a lot of stuff we want to go over. Um, I'll just go over first. Say, hey, you know, um, today I've had these things in my mind. I have been struggling with this over here, so I might need some assistance here. Partners just start making statements and just partners say, I'm going to show you my hand first. I'm going to expose my hand, like using a, 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 a card game analogy. Uh-huh. And now that you see my hand, I'm going to ask for grace that when you talk to me, you take into consideration that I've had these other things going on that I've had to deal with. Right, right. That's how partners address one another. You talked about the highs and the lows. What's the who knows? What's the third piece of that family business conversation? Yeah, the lows are easy. You just talk about the things that didn't go well for you that day. And the who the heck knows? Every human being is scared to death of the unknown, plain and simple. Some people will stay in bad relationships because they're like, well, at least I know this horrible person. (laughs) I don't want to go date for three years and have to meet another person I don't like, right? Let's just stay with the same stuff. So the who the heck knows, when your kids hear you say, I have something that's making me nervous that's coming up in the future. I have something that's unsettled. It could be a funeral you're going to. It could be a big test that you have to take as as a parent when you're going to school and working. No matter what it is, when you say, I'm worried about this because I don't want to fail. So this is a who the heck knows. Even though I'm worried about it, I am kind of anxious to get it over with and do it. Our brain can categorize three things pretty easily. What's good, what's bad, and what's the unknown? Hmm. So if you identify the unknown, and these are reps. As your kids hear you talk, then they talk. Then back to the normal, uh, what we talked about with the family business model in the 30, 60, 90 days. If you're doing this pretty consistently every week, as family drama comes up, real important things that need to be discussed, the wheels are already greased. You guys have already had a chance to talk about things on a practice level. Now it's game time. So when families come to me and they said, David, this helped us so much because we did this three or four times a week. Now our kid got busted doing something they weren't supposed to do. We sat down, we talked to them about it. We said, here's, you know, here's my highs and my lows about the situation. Mm-hmm. The high is that you came and you admitted to it yeah, you maybe you lied at first, but you eventually confessed to it. So that's my high that our relationship is making progress, that you could trust me with the truth. The low is that, you know, I, I know that this is going to take away your freedom and I know that this is going to be a hard thing and it's going to be hard for you. And so I know that it's a low because I hate to see you have to miss out on fun things. The who the heck knows is, I don't really know what this means for the next couple of weeks. I'd hope that you don't give up on your homework and all these other things because you got grounded. Um, but that's who the heck knows. I'm not quite sure where that goes. It's a brilliant Man, combination. Is, yeah. 
the hive is positive, the low might be this openness, and the who the heck knows could be this point of vulnerability. You can see how that would forge forge connection. We talked about forming a family mission statement, holding these quarterly meetings, these reviews. Talk to me about this idea of manager training, and you touched on this, that if, if mom and dad represent the CEO or the CFO of a family, I'm definitely not the CFO. I'm working on that. I'm a manager in training in that <laughs> respect, but tell me about the roles. Neither of the, am I. Okay, good. Tell me about the roles of the kids and how we can up-level them to different positions within that family business model. Well, I said it on, uh, if, if people didn't see this interview um, on uh, the the show, they should go check out that link. I'm sure you'll have that will, in, yeah. in the notes of this podcast. Um, I always use this as, the, as the, the, the vision that you can see in your mind. Everyone was a kid at the kids' table Thanksgiving or <laughs> Christmas, and you would always look over the adults' table. You'd hear their laughing, and you hear things like, this one time when I snuck out, you're like, wait, my mom snuck out? Like, what's going on? I'm sorry, what? And you're like listening away. I thought mom was perfect. Like, you're putting down and those you kitty listening. crayons, and you're wanting to be over there. Yeah, you're about like eight, nine years old, 10 years old. Like something else has happened over there. I want to listen into the big kids' conversation. Yeah. And then the big people are like, no, 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 no. Oh, you stay over there. We like to tell our stories without looking like we're bad. So every kid wants a seat at the big kids table. They want to hang out with the adults. So what you do is you take everyone of your kids individually, age appropriately, of course, and you identify with your partner, your spouse, you identify what is a strength of theirs that can be irritating at times. For my son and our family, it's he's the comedian. So he can get a little too crazy. So instead of trying to, this is how we bring him up through management training. Instead okay. of just at dinner saying, stop jumping up and down, stop being crazy, stop this. Because after a while, he's just going to get tired of hearing that. He's like, well, you know, at least I'm getting some attention. So instead what you do is, what I do with my son, I pull him aside and say, hey, listen, here's what I want you to do. Every single dinner time, I want you to think of a joke. So you can get jokes from this little joke book he has. And I want you to come up with at least one or two jokes. And then you bring the jokes in that your job is to make us laugh. You are manager of comedy. Oh, I love that. And he's like, that. got it. So what you do is you say, here's something that is a natural born attribute with your kid. Yeah, yeah. And most of you guys out there, most people have kids that you'll look at that one kid and you'll probably think that could could save the world or blow it up. <laughs> just depends on which one, just depends on which one they they're what mood yep. during that day. Like that yep. kid is good. Very could go either way, right? Well, do you want to just shut down their natural expression, their natural free agency where they're just they're trying to bring humor or they're trying to do a really good job at, you know, at keeping the, the house clean. Every kid's going to have these little quirks about them. Instead, you want to bring them up, say, we're going to make you the manager of that. We're going to give you this assignment mm -hmm. and you can help the family in this particular way. You're channeling those strengths, that energy or those talents, those God-given gifts, if you will, yep. into a purposeful place at the family dinner table. No pun intended. A purposeful yeah, place in the family. But a couple important things. You got to okay. do it one-on-one. -on -one. You got to pull them aside. Every kid likes that one-on-one -on -one attention when okay. they're not in trouble. You say, hey, come here. And they go, what's going on? I go, don't worry, you're not in trouble. I, I need to talk to you about something. I've been noticing dinner's been boring lately. You're like, really? So yeah, you know, could you do me a favor? Could you come up with some jokes? You know, for someone else around the house, it's like, hey, you know what? You know, if whatever their thing is, you're like, I want to take not just things that they're struggling with, but you want to take some of their attributes and give them a job title. If you can give them a job title, they can make they can make jokes about it. I got one family where this girl, she likes to clean a lot. 
she likes to have everything clean. So they gave her a job title. Instead of making fun of her for always having to have everything clean, they're saying, you know what? You can help us out in these other ways. They gave her a job title. Now there's no shame behind mm-hmm. it. It's celebrated. Now no one's mocking her for yeah. it. It's like, no, she's got something that the family needs. Yeah, and why didn't I get one of those kids? Why didn't I get right. one of the cleaners? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's still to come. Who knows? All right, so ultimately, in conclusion, as we practice this business model and implement it into family life through the mission statement, through the quarterly meetings, through the through the, um, through the the manager training, what's the payoff? What's the benefit, David? What will we see differently or what will we see— what will we see happen that's different in our homes? Well, I think, and I'm speaking obviously for every family, but I, I think it's safe to say, at the end of every day when we go to bed, when we think about our future, we imagine our children being right there with us every phase of life. Mm. When they're young, we imagine them you know, playing catch at the park with them. When or whatever it may be, when when they're in middle school, we imagine like oh, taking them, you know, to take their braces off for the first time, or you know, with the, like these little moments where it's like we bond with them and they're going to be memorable. Yeah. When they're in high school, it's like dropping them off at football practice or whatever, you know, band practice, whatever it may be. Every single phase of our life, we didn't have children to imagine them not being in our life. But here's the here's the trick, or here's the catch: Do they want to be there? Now, I know a lot of kids uh, feel that there's guilt involved with spending time with their families. And so when they're with their families, it becomes awkward and they don't get to enjoy it. And this can happen at a young age. I know a lot of kids that say that they feel like their parents and their families don't like their friends, don't like anything that they're into. So therefore, they have to stay away from their house because it only causes problems and drama. And then the parents are left not having their kids around. So to answer your question, there's a long roundabout way to answer it. Family business model and these type of approaches definitely drastically increases the probability that you're going to get to spend time with your kids and your family where they willingly want to be there with you. And that's what we all want, right? Amen. (laughs) David, amen to you, brother. Thank you so much. You've got a YouTube channel I want to ask you about. How's that going and how can we listen in? Well, you know, it's just getting started. That's my, you know, my studio that I'm talking from right now. It's called Mr. Cause. A bunch of kids from the class that I teach at, they're wondering, they just want me to ask, answer questions. And I go, all right. And they said, start a YouTube channel. So you can go to Mr. You know, mr.koz and got two videos up. We're about to launch it this next couple of weeks. We're going to be sharing with a lot of kids. So it's my personality, my style, giving street counseling to kids of how to deal with texts, like, you know, like a text they don't know how to respond to, family drama, if you're broken up with someone because you screwed up, like how to respond to that. So just a whole bunch of random questions that come from real teenagers. And I think you can tell when you listen to questions, they're real teenagers asking these questions. I, so that's what it is. I like- I like how you described it as street counseling because it seems to meet us right where we are in a manner, in a way that's so approachable and so absorbable. And we felt that today. Thank you so much, my friend. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I'm just wondering why it took you so long to start a podcast. <laughs> You're meant to do this, Brooke. Oh, I'm serious. I don't know about that. This is kind You're of a fake until you make it, but I sure love the chance to talk to people like you and, and better myself and improve my family. So thanks for that. I appreciate it. Well, and thank you for the time. Enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. This is Family Rules, the podcast on BYU Radio. We'd invite you to subscribe, rate, or review wherever you get your podcasts. We would appreciate that feedback, and we hope you're able to jump into our conversation next time. Thanks for listening. Family Rules, the podcast is a production of BYU Broadcasting.